You can go from I should start a podcast to actually starting a podcast with Spreaker. Spreaker's tools allow you to record, manage, distribute, and monetize any podcast idea, whether it's about your business or even your cat. And as your podcast grows, Spreaker helps you manage your success and even monetize it. That means all you need to get started is a microphone and a really good idea. Learn more and get 30% off at Spreaker.com slash get started. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R dot com slash get started. Welcome to the porch here on Firefall Talk Radio. I'm Richard Grund. This is where we're getting back to basics, examining the Word of God, especially the book of Acts Church, focusing on them to see how they served the Lord. They gave us the example to follow. They built the foundation and the structure, and somewhere along the way, man decided to do his own thing. We dig deeper into Scripture. We don't water it down. We don't filter it. We follow the red-letter basics. The goal of the porch has always been to restore the priesthood of the believer and regain the world-shaking influence the early church had. We believe the church age is still in effect. The day of Pentecost ongoing, the fire still falls. The porch was created as an outreach of Solomon's Porch, Inc. on solomonsport.org, a Florida non-for-profit. If you have any questions, you can visit the site, use the contact button, or you can just bookmark firefalltalkradio.com. You can find out ways to support us there. We thank you, each and every one of you that do support us. Some days left in the month if you want to get in a final uh, blessing. We would definitely receive it and appreciate it. Make sure you bookmark the Spreaker site. It's the only place you can catch us live on Firefall Talk Radio. It's Spreaker.com forward slash user forward slash Firefall Talk Radio. Or use the Spreaker app. We archive here also on Apple Podcast, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. No longer um, posting or active on Blog Talk Radio. Just haven't gotten around to deleting what's there. So welcome to each and every one of you. We appreciate you. Now, according to the BBC, Christian persecution is at genocide levels. Fox News reports that more than 1,000 Christians have been murdered by Islamic militants, a militia of Islamic Fulani herdsmen this year in Nigeria. According to reports circulated by Christian news outlets said, They attack rural villages, forcing villagers off their lands and settle in their place, a strategy that is epitomized by the phrase, your land or your blood. In every village, the message from local people is the same. Please help us. Please, please help us. The Fulani are coming. We're not safe in our own homes. The report published November 18th of this year's, but only circulated to recently titled Your Land or Your Body, estimates that 6,000 Christians have been murdered by members of the Fulani ethnic group. Let's not forget there are also Muslims since 2015 and another 12,000 displaced. Now, why am I sharing you with that? Well, you know, while you unwrap your um, boxes and 
worry about your lights and all the things that go along with the, this year. We have brothers and sisters around the world that that not only is not a consideration, they don't have time to think about those things. They're just trying to stay alive. So you know what? I praise the Lord that I don't have to deal with that just yet. I believe it will come. But I have a home. I have a lovely wife. I have uh, my sons, my daughter-in-laws, my grandson, uh, my furry kids. Some of you call them pets. All the possessions, everything God has given me, everything that I either threw away or didn't think I wanted once I got saved, healed, and delivered, he gave it all back to me. And all he asked me to do was to follow him and to serve him, and I do it gladly. So I praise him that he protects us. I praise him that he allows me me to work his ministry for him. I, I thank him for the dreams and the visions and the things that he's showing me of the days to come, especially in the coming year, that he would even consider me to do that. I praise him for his healing virtues, that I can praise him without threat or worry that somebody's going to come take my home or take my life for being a new creation and living in these prophetic times. I believe we are in the end times. I believe we are in the onset of the days of Noah. So I praise him for living in America. Are we a dysfunctional mess? Absolutely. We are that large family of brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and people that just can't seem to get along. We are dysfunctional, the epitome of it. But we're still America and we're still free and and we are still able to do the things we need to do to serve him. It's all about serving him. I thank him for the signs that he's giving us, that he's getting ready to return. Are we paying attention? I know I am. I hope you are. Let's get ready. Let's praise him for favor and revelation. My prayer is for the Middle East, Israel, and the peace of Jerusalem. A lot of stuff going on there. The rockets are still firing, even though the news media are not covering it. People are still running into bomb shelters, still no government there, praying that whatever is withholding it is broken and the Lord can bring water back into Israel. And maybe this is a part of his divine plan. I'm not sure yet, but whatever it is, I pray for Israel and the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for the fatherless, the widows, the innocents, the victims of injustice more and more every day that takes up my time to pray for them. The slaughter of the innocents, which grieves my heart, hurts my spirit. The the people that have been victimized by hu- human slavery, sex trafficking, young boys, young girls, women, just since the beginning of time, Satan has been involved and he still is. It's big business for him. And unfortunately, we have men and women around the world, very powerful, very wealthy, global elites that are all a part of it. I pray for our brothers and sisters around the world, as I've already mentioned, being slaughtered and persecuted for their faith, the persecution that we're seeing, the anti-Semitism, the attacks on our Jewish brothers and sisters, all part of the prophecies told to us. I pray for divine wholeness, health, and continued healing, getting back to our divine design. I have been active in it, working nonstop for over a month now to get back to that design. God has healed the things that limited me, the debilitating fatigue, and I'm praising him for that as well as praying for it to continue and for those of you that need it. I pray healing for each and every one of you that are sick in heart, mind, body, soul, or spirit. 
I pray a Psalm 91 protection over you, over us, and all that is his, so that we can serve him and, and be in the hidden shadow of his wings. I pray for inspiration, divine, Holy Spirit-guided inspiration. Pray for the remnant to wake up, rise up, and answer the call to action. You know, I mention that every week. I pray it every day. I'm just not seeing a whole lot of it, and I don't know if it's just the sign of the times or there's a timing to it, but we need to wake up. We need the remnant to wake up. We need the workers to wake up. We need the people that have been blessed financially to wake up. This, This army, this team needs provision. Praying the doors would open, that we'd be able to get this documentary done and out and use it as a key to open the door to the world, to shine the light into the darkness. That we would, each and every one of us, you, me, my family, all the members of SRT, Firefall, every one of you, prosper in accordance with his word and be open conduits of his blessing to fund the dreams, the visions, and the missions, and also to help one another. Continue to pray for Pastor Shelley. When you pray for me and my family, make sure you include him in that area because he is family to me. I pray um, for divine favor. We still have an, an, a legal matter that's lingering. It's still not completely wrapped up. We need supernatural favor in every aspect of that, so I pray that you would touch and agree with me um, for the adversity that and the attacks that have been hitting me and my family and the members of SRT. And I pray for our lost family members to come to know the Lord. That is a heart's cry. Stacy in Texas, the only other one I have here, she says she hopes everyone is well. She says, I think of you and pray for you daily. I thank our Father every day for having met each one of you. I praise him for my husband, my children, my best friend Kim, my furry kids, like-minded believers in my life and all that he's done for us. May we all continue to grow in wisdom, courage, and discernment under the grace of our Father, the King of the universe. She says, stay strong, brothers and sisters. Fight the distractions of this world. You are loved and cherished. Please keep my family in your prayers. We are fighting intense generational stronghold. She's also asking for her prayer for her horse, Jesse. If you've followed us over the years, she rescued Jesse, an extremely neglected and abused horse, and is uh, catching up to her as it does. She had a vet visit, and her teeth are pretty much beyond repair, which explains some of the recent weight loss. But she has another issue here that I'm putting out to you. She's, she, uh, the horse is kept about 30 minutes from where she lives, and it's difficult to get to her and feed her as often as she needs it. I'm praying for the ability to move into our own place so this won't be a problem anymore. I'm asking if there are any horse lovers or animal lovers out there that might step up and want to pay for just need to be fed on a regular basis to let me know. Go to firefalltalkradio.com. Reach out to me on Facebook. Let's see if we can do something about this. I think that's what the port should be about. We should be taking care of each and every one of us, not just us, our families, but even our pets in our possession. They're members of our families, too. So, Father, you know these needs. You're not surprised by any of them. But we're coming to you anyway. We're we're boldly approaching the throne of grace and mercy, saying, Abba, Father, Papa, God, Daddy, we love you. We love you. We're your children. And we just want you to reach down and hug us and tell us it's going to be okay and make it okay. We need you to take away the pain, the darkness, the fear, the anxiety, the lack. Some of it's our fault. Some of it's bad decisions. Some of it's the enemy. But whatever it is, we repent of anything we've done to cause it 
And we ask that you help us, help us with the provisions, help us with the needs, help us in mind, body, and spirit. We want to serve you. We want to be about your business. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the empty tomb. We thank you for the upper room. We thank you for sending back the Holy Spirit to remind us of your word and to teach us and to walk with us and comfort us. Lord, if ever there was a time we needed more of you, more revelation, more participation, more inspiration. And Holy Spirit, we acknowledge you. We acknowledge your work and your patience with us. And so we ask that you speak to us now. Speak to us during this time. Speak to all of us that are hearing it live and listening to it. And that everyone is praying and offering their prayers up to you, Holy Spirit. Teach them, teach them how to pray. And if they don't know how to pray, then give them words that can't be uttered so that their prayers are what they need to be. So, Father, we just thank you now. Bless this time. Bless this word. And I just pray all these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Lessons are proprietary information, except where noted the information comes from outside sources. The combination of that information, the matter presented, is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. Open your Bibles, open your apps, however you follow along. Make sure you do. Make sure you take notes. If you have questions, you can always ask. Make sure you download it. Listen to it again if, if you need to. That's what it's there for doesn't cost you anything. We're paying for everything. So go with me to John chapter 10, starting with verse 22. Now it was the feast of dedication, otherwise known as Hanukkah, in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Yeshua walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. And the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. And Yeshua answered to them and said, I, I told you, and you do not believe me. The work that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe, because you're not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my father are one. And then the Jews took up stones again to stone him, and Yeshua answered them, Many good works have I shown you from my father. For which of those works do you stone me? And the Jews answered, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you, being a man, make yourself God. Yeshua answered them and said, Is it not written in your law, I said, You are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, You are blaspheming, because I said I am the Son of God? If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe in me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the words, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me, and I in him. Therefore they sought again to seize him, but he escaped out of their hand, and he went away again beyond Jordan to the place where John was baptizing at first, and there he stayed. 
Then many came to him and said, John performed no sign, but all the things that John spoke about this man were true, and many believed in him there. So John's gospel is written primarily to a Jewish and Samaritan audience, with an emphasis on the Jewish and Samaritan festivals that Yeshua was the fulfillment of these holidays. Hanukkah is one of them that is alluded to in the New Testament. Christmas is not. Now you would think here we are on Christmas Day that I would be doing a sermon about Christmas. No, I don't celebrate Christmas. If you do, that's between you and the Father. But once my eyes were opened, once I was woke, as they call it, I couldn't do it, couldn't do it anymore. And there's a reason for that, because Christmas did not come into existence until 354 A.D., after the Book of Acts Church had been shut down and shut out based upon the Council of Nicaea and the dictates and constructs of man. But the fact that Yeshua himself participated in the Festival of Lights is enough for me to consider it, celebrate it, and study it. But interestingly enough, if you don't already know it, December 25th was at Tyre and Rome in later times celebrated as the birthday of the sun, S-U-N, the revival, the renewal, the ceremony of man and nature. They were celebrating the birth of Nimrod of ancient Babylon as the first human sun god. Nimrod, who started the first great organized worldly apostasy against God, that has dominated the world until now. If you don't know much about Nimrod, look him up. Nimrod married his own mother. She was both his wife and his mother. Her name was Semiramis. In Egypt, it's always believed that the son of Iris, the Egyptian name for the queen of heaven, actually, she's had many, many names, I'll tell you in a second, was born on December 25th. Semiramis bore the title the queen of heaven, as, and she was Nimrod's mother. When you see the pictures of the Madonna holding the baby and he's got the little globe in his hand, that's really a, an adaption of a picture of Semiramis holding Nimrod long before Yeshua was born. The Queen of Heaven is a title given to a number of ancient sky goddesses worshipped throughout the ancient Mediterranean and Near East during ancient times. Goddesses who went by the name Inanna, Anat, Isis, Ishtar, Astart, and Asherah. Um, mentioned by the prophet Jeremiah. In Greco-Roman times, it was Hera, and her Roman counterpart Juno bore this title. They were worshipped in various ways in various times. The modern times, the title of the Queen of Heaven, is still used by contemporary pagans to refer to the great goddess, while Catholics, Greek Orthodox, and some Anglican Christians apply the ancient title to Mary, the mother of Jesus. After Nimrod's death, and yes, he did die, his mother, wife, whatever, Semiramis, propagated the evil doctrine of the survival of Nimrod as a spirit being. She claimed a full-grown evergreen tree sprang up overnight from a dead tree stump, which symbolized the springing forth unto new life of the dead Nimrod. On each anniversary of his birth, she claimed, Nimrod would visit the evergreen tree and leave gifts upon it. When was his birthday? Oh, yes, that's right. It was December 25th. Many people believe that's the real origin of Christmas. 
Many years later, this pagan custom was Christianized as the birthday of Christ and assimilated into the church. Well, that's just one of the many reasons why I don't celebrate it. I also don't believe this was the time of year he was born. I believe he was born during the Feast of Tabernacles in uh, September, late September, early October. But Hanukkah, what is Hanukkah? Well, we've talked about this before, and I'm going to go through it quickly just as a reminder in case you didn't hear it the last time. It's an eight-day festival that commemorates the cleansing and rededication of the temple following the victories of Judah Maccabeus, Judah Maccabee in 167-165-64 B.C. It's the only Jewish festival not specifically mentioned in the Hebrew Bible, but was also mentioned as celebrated as the Feast of Dedication on the 25th day of Kislev in December. On each day a candle is lit until eight are lit. Hanukkah means, as I said, consecration, dedication. It symbolizes renewal and renovation. We, we see it as many different things. We also believe that from the time that Yeshua was born during the Feast of Tabernacles and the Magi showed up when he was a child was about the same time they showed up around Hanukkah the following year. So the giving of gifts to the child, gold, frankincense, and myrrh tied in with this. But when this happened in that 164 B.C., Antiochus Epiphanes killed 40,000 inhabitants and sold another 40,000 into safe slavery, destroyed the temple, sacrificed the sow, a female pig, on the altar of the temple, the altar of burnt offerings, and then made a broth of this sacrifice and sprinkled it all over the temple, burning the books of the law and putting to death anyone who attempted to keep the Torah in their possession. Antiochus Epiphanes, another foreshadowing of the Antichrist. We've had so many of them from from the beginning of time, but just from modern history, we have, we have Nero, we have Antiochus Epiphanes, we have Adolf Hitler, we have um, all of these men and women, that, no, not any women, but there have been all men, and the women that have served them and the children that have served them, yes, they do make children serve them, have been the foreshadowing of what is to come. But during this period of time, it's great mourning. The glorious temple has been destroyed. It's been defiled. But the children of Judah refused to compromise. They fought back. They said, no, we won't do what you want. We won't worship Antiochus Epiphanes as God. And we're going to do something about this. They refused to compromise. Boy, do we need some of that today. The oppression of Pharaoh, another foreshadowing of the Antichrist, the oppression of Antiochus. The Lord looks, he hears, and he sends a deliverer. And in this case, it was Judah Maccabee, a warrior, who took the motto of his standard as who is like thee among the gods, O Jehovah. Maccabeus, hammer. He was a destroyer. He was a fighter. He was a resister. And during decisive, three decisive victories in the first two years alone, campaigns at Samaria, Betharon, Emmaus, secured his fame and success. And then finally, at Bethsur, he became the master of Jerusalem 
and drove the Syrians out. But it's now three and a half years later to the day. He's recovered the temple, and they enter, and they find a sickening scene. The corridors of the priest chambers which encircled the temple were torn down. The gates were in ashes, the altar disfigured and defiled. The whole platform was overgrown as if it was a mountain jungle or a forest glade, according to First Maccabee 4.33. It was a heartbreaking sight. But they decided they were going to take the task of purifying the temple. And for them it was serious, solemn work. And the interior of the temple had to be completely refurbished. The vessels, the candlesticks, the incense, the altars, the tables, the curtains, the gates, they all had to be redone. At last, it was all completed. And on the 25th day of Kislev, which is December, as I mentioned, everything came full circle. And it was time for the temple to be rededicated. It also lined up as the prediction in Daniel, Daniel 7.25, Daniel 9.24-27, and Daniel 12.6-7, and 7, as a foreshadowing of the final desecration and the final rededication at the end of all things. But the purification was going to take eight days. The candelabra, the menorah, had eight candles. They needed eight vials of oil to do it. And guess what? Not only did they not have the original menorah of gold, they had to build one of metal and encase it in wood. They didn't have enough oil. They only had one. But they did the best they could. They decked out the front of the temple with crowns of gold and with their shields. And the gates and the chambers were renewed. The curtains were rehung. Finally, once more, the smoke would go up on the altar. The gates would be in place. The priestly chambers were fumigated and ready to go. But the golden menorah was destroyed. So they built one of iron and cased it in wood. They made do with what they had. It was a solemn moment, and they needed a sacred fire. And they kindled one on the new altar, and it lit up the building and and created this new perpetual fire of holiness, and it glowed again. And I thought about that, and I visualized it, and I said, boy, do we need that. We need a, a glow of the fire of the Holy Spirit again in God's children. We need that light to shine out of our eyes. We want to be extremely dangerous when we need to be lit up, and not the way many are going to be lit up in a couple of days celebrating the new year, I mean lit up from the fire of the Holy Spirit. But as I said, they had a problem. They had only one unpolluted vial of oil, but they needed eight, and they didn't have time to make them. So the miracle of Hanukkah is that one vial lasted eight days. But you know what? I see that as a... as an emblem of the Holy Spirit. It's miraculous. It's everlasting. It's self-perpetuating. Once it's there, it's always there. And the festival and the lighting of each candle lasted for eight days, and they were joyful. I can't even imagine after fighting for three and a half years of seeing the bloodshed and the destruction 
that they're finally free. They're able to worship as they were told to worship. They're able to put everything back in place and everything's lit. Psalms and cymbals and harps and dancing. Even the depth of winter could not restrain their joy. And the first dawn of that new day, for the whole week following, songs of joy. I don't know what you're going through, but don't focus on the struggles. Don't focus on the darkness. Be determined to have joy in the morning. Be determined to shine that light. Be determined that the oil of the Holy Spirit glow and burn inside of you. See, this thing, this solemn feast afterwards became the tabernacle feast of winter, the feast of lights, the festival of lights, and it became a characteristic of of the feast of tabernacles. And after the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D., The feast was observed by lighting lamps in private homes and placing them in the windows so that people could see them. And I look at that nine-branch menorah. Really, it's eight branches plus with a servant candle. The shamash goes. Representing the Lord. Number of eight new beginnings represents each one of us. And you start out the first night with one and two and three and four before you, and finally you get up to eight. Eight days of miracles. Symbolizing the miracle that took place then. But you know what? There's a miracle taking place every day. As I said, it, you can do whatever you want to do. If you celebrated Christmas, that's all well and good. But here's my, here's my main thought about all of it. And I see it on social media and I got all the messages hearing from people I don't hear from all year long. Why can't we do that all year long? Why can't we love like that and care like that and take care of people like that all year long? Why do we need a man-made holiday to do that? Why do we need media and commercials and all those things to tell us to do it? Why can't that love and that compassion and that feeling of giving and family and home and, and connection be there every day for us? See, that's what made the Book of Acts Church different. I do not believe they celebrated the birth of Jesus. That was not something Jews did. They didn't celebrate the birth of a person. They commemorated their death. But be that as it may, they had the aspect of family down. They didn't all get along. But they took care of one another. We don't need billion-dollar shopping days once a year. We need to take care of the sick, the lost, and the dying. I saw something today that I thought really was brilliant. There's a group out in the West Coast that when they deliver meals to the elderly, it's like a meal on wheels. They also have an animal meal on wheels. To any of the elderly that have pets, they deliver them food too. They're taking care of people. They're taking care of God's creation. But here we, here we are. One day, one week a year, we act like we care about people. But here we have the Shamash, the servant candle, who lights all the other candles. The main candle representing the light of the Messiah, the suffering servant of the Almighty, the only begotten Son of God, who lights each and every one of us. Just like in the upper room, a fire sat upon each of them. 
And we we say a short prayer. We, we pray for the miracles that are coming, the miracles of redemption, for the mighty deeds, for the saving acts, for the wonders which you have wrought, O Lord, in the ancestors in those days and at this time. You know, I pray for each and every one of you that I know by name, and if I, if I don't know you, I just pray for the listeners in the community of the porch. Hopefully your pastors, if you have one, do that for you. But I pray each and every day that you would know him, that you would hear his voice, that you would feel his presence, that everything I say here is not a a, a strange thing to you. For you to know the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, your soul, and your spirit. But here we have him in John, John 10, excuse me. He's walking in Solomon's porch, what we're named after. And there he is. And man, the Pharisees who were supposed to know better, who were created by Judah Maccabee to reteach the people in the things of the temple and the Torah and things of spirituality, and then what they became was a greedy, at times satanic group of men. Now here they have the Word of God, the living Word of God, and they want to they want to kill him. They want to stone him. They they have placed greater importance upon the sanctuary than the gospel. They place greater importance on tradition and man-made things. And it blinds them to the fact, it blinds them to his light. That's my other problem with traditions and the things that we do and the things I used to do in church that I thought meant something and I realized don't. It was for me. It was for each other. It was for the pastor. It was for them to raise money in the offering. to, to It had nothing to do with God. We just put his name on it and hoped he liked it. And there comes a point we say, well, you know what, maybe that's true, Richard, but his grace is still amazing and he accepts it as it is. Yeah, well, You know what, when you're ignorant, you don't know better, that's okay. But the minute you do know better, the minute your eyes are open, the minute you're no, no longer ignorant, there's no longer an excuse for it. But men and tradition, they want to put a, 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 an importance on the outward beauty of the temple, whereas the inward condition could be horrible. I could be talking about the church at the same time I'm talking about the temple, a church that has little moral influence in the world. And the winter of that time symbolizes the spiritual state that we're in. You know, if spiritual life is to happen, if it's to be developed, it's it's developed in the spring rain. But to get to the spring rain, death must precede it in the coldness of winter. Old principles must be renounced. Old habits abandoned. Man-made tradition and monuments must be torn down. And new growth must replace it. If you're trying to get new growth in your life, if you're trying to get new growth in your relationship, if you're trying to get new growth in your walk and you're building it on dead things, it's not going to happen. They need to be pruned, sometimes all the way down close to the root to completely grow back. But you cannot build new buds on dead branches. And see, that's what winter does. The harshness of winter. When one form of life passes away, 
to succeed another. And here you have Yeshua. He's in the temple. He's in Solomon's porch, which means veranda or colonnade. It's a long covered walk under a roof supported by the columns. Supposedly it was incredibly beautiful. Josephus talks about it, a portico built by Solomon on the east side of the outer court of the temple, which remained partly undestroyed from Solomon's temple, was left standing and by Herod when he rebuilt the temple. So he built around it. That's how important it was. 600 feet long and 200 feet wide. The grandeur and the beauty of it all. It was mentioned as one of the defenses of the temple at the siege of Jerusalem. It was the place where the Lord made some powerful divine statements and declarations of his power and his works. That's where the Jews rejected him. It became the place afterward where the apostles boldly proclaimed him as Messiah and showed the signs and wonders to the people. It was where they came together and then headed from house to house for worship and fellowship. It just seems like Solomon's porch was key to the book of Acts church, a bright colonnade of columns and decked out with glittering trophies and lit up, and you have the menorah and the court and the lights there, and Yeshua is walking up and down, and the, the Pharisees surround him to question him. And instead of doing what... Tudor Maccabee wanted from them to restore the worship to the children of Israel. Now they're confronting the one to be worshipped. In the memory of the glad feast, they were celebrating the anniversary of the deliverance by a handful of men. Has long been forgotten. And what Yeshua was trying to show them in his ministry and his walk that the day for political deliverances was past. Listen to me, church. The day for political deliverance is past. We need a higher, deeper, wider deliverance. And one came to them, and we need a new one. That he was Messiah. Far loftier and higher and more spiritual than they had ever dreamed of. His language they didn't understand, whether implied or, or explicit. He didn't say to them, hey, I'm Messiah, I'm your Messiah. He didn't do that. He knew that they would need to hear it with the ears of the Holy Spirit. They knew that he would need to know his voice. But they didn't. They didn't understand the Lord. They had nothing in common with him. He says it in John eight, twenty three through twenty four. He said to them, You are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. We have a lot of the church right now that is of the world. But he's not of this world. And those of us who follow him in spirit and truth with the fullness of the Holy Spirit desiring to be about our Father's business, we're not of this world either. Unfortunately, we're bound by this world. We're bound by the cares of this world and the the bonds to Egypt that have been created in our lifetime. But they couldn't understand him. 
They were like a man without an ear for music trying to understand music, or somebody without the mind for it understanding poetry. They were like a person who is selfish, self-interested, trying to understand someone else who's selfless and compassionate. Sheep may not be very smart, but they know and they understand their master's voice. It's not always perfect. Sometimes it's imperfect, but they know his voice. I've seen the videos of the shepherd calling the sheep, and they come running no matter where they are. Sometimes they have to be trained to do that. Sometimes they have to follow the example of others, but eventually they get it. Eventually they have ears to hear. That's his sheep. That's his flock. We should be listening to him. We shouldn't be listening to the world. We shouldn't be listening to the false teachers and preachers and, and those that are profiting from the gospel. We should know the difference. You shouldn't need me to point it out to you. The Holy Spirit should tell you. I get very distressed when I see people that are supposed to know better so easily fooled by the ear ticklers and the false teachers, and I just shake my head. 1 John 5.19, we know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one, the power of the evil one, the control of the evil one. That's the world. What's sad is when what's called the church is under that same sway or power or control. But we're different. We're not like that. Though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. We know that. We know that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Messiah, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So the question that comes to mind as I read that, do you think the Lord himself would be fooled by fake events? that really have nothing to do with him? Do you think he would tell the Father, well, you know, it's it's the thought that matters, it's the intent, it's not its origins or what it was meant for? I don't think he would. I think he was very clear about worshiping the Father in spirit and truth, and we should do the same with him. But Second Corinthians 10 tells us we're in a war, and it's a war between darkness and light. And the reason we're in that war goes back to Genesis 3.15, when God says, I will put enmity, which hatred, between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He's speaking to the serpent. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. An ongoing hostility, a hatred between light and darkness, between the things of God and the things of Satan, between the fallen angels, their demonic offspring, and those of us that are marked by his blood. In some ways, we're caught in the middle of the war. In other ways, we're a direct part of it. We're on the front lines. We participate in it. It's a war between that darkness 
than the light that I'm talking about here. It's all about light. I've been talking about that a lot at the seminars I do and the, I did at the recent C conference and, and whatever the next one is that I do. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through the world that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already. Pretty basic. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. This is the curse. That the light came into the world and men loved darkness rather than light. Because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light. Does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. Mankind has loved darkness all the way back to the days of Noah and to now. They love darkness instead of light. And who teaches them to love darkness? The one who hates the light. The one who doesn't want what they do to be seen. It's right there in John 1. One In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, so we know we're talking about the pre-incarnate Yeshua. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. He spoke everything into existence. In him was life, and the life was the what? Light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it, did not overcome it. That's what we're talking about here. In this aspect that God uses the weakness of man and redemption through faith in his Son, not only to redeem fallen man, which is tremendous in and of itself, but eventually a new heavens and a new earth, all things get redeemed. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light that glows from inside of you, the light that's in your eyes, shines into the darkness, and the darkness cannot comprehend it. I see people. I can spot a believer across the room because of the light in their eyes. And then I see people who claim to be believers, and their eyes are dead. There is no light. They're just steps away from darkness. Darkness has and always will rebel against the light, just like in the time of Judah Maccabee, just in the time of Jesus, and and even to now. But it can never overcome it. If there's darkness in your life, if there's a demonic presence in your life, I would dare to say there's not enough light in your life. Acts 3, 20 and 21 he shall send Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the time of restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. The plan has always been to put everything back the way it was, to restore it back to the perfect beginning before the fall, before sin, before chaos. That's what this is all about. That's what the porch is all about. 
That's what the C conferences are all about. To shine the light, to bring order back into individuals' lives so that we can come together corporately as one flame. But there's a problem. We live in a fallen world in which our gospel is veiled, and it's veiled to those who are perishing, unfortunately, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Messiah, who is the image of God, should shine on them. We don't preach ourselves, but we preach Messiah Yeshua as Lord, and ourselves as bondservants for Yeshua. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of the darkness, which has shone into our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus, the Messiah. We know the God of his age is Satan. It's the devil, the adversary, the fallen one. He's characterized by the hidden things of shame, craftiness, deceitfulness. He blinds people's minds from receiving the light of the gospel. But Messiah, the very image of God, cannot be stopped. The Holy Spirit cannot be stopped. Satan knows that. The fallen know that. The demons know that. So what they do is they try to keep it from you. They try to get you not to apply it. They try to get you not to pray. They try to get you not to act in faith. They try to get you to ignore what you're being taught so that you can live in misery with your head down, whining and groaning and moaning in the darkness when you should be bursting forth in the light. You should be ripping the chains off. You should be throwing your hands to heaven. You should be praising, dancing, and and if need be, screaming your way out of it. Satan doesn't want that. The demons don't want that. The people that serve them don't want that. So what is what is this darkness? The absence of light, blackness, obscurity, gloom, secrecy, ignorance or error, wickedness, impurity, obscurity, a state of distress or trouble. <coughs> you know what the scientific answer about darkness is? It doesn't exist. Darkness is simply the absence of light. Light we can study. Darkness we cannot. Darkness cannot be measured. Light, on the other hand, can be measured. And how do we tell how dark a certain space is? We measure the amount of light. A simple ray of light breaks through darkness and illuminates it, changes it. If you're in darkness, it's because there's no light there. Either shine or get around somebody who is. Isaiah 9-2 prophesied that people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. That's us. We're the light shining in the world. We're the lamp up on a hill. We're the beacon. We're the, we're the lighthouse. We're the ones that show people the way. Well, if your light is off and, the, and it's not spinning, how are you going to keep the ships from crashing on the rocks? And you know the great thing about sunlight, S-U-N light, the sun, it helps fruits and vegetables and grains to grow and be healthy. It helps animals and humans to grow and develop. 
It encourages healthy circulation, stimulates the production of red blood cells, and increases the amount of oxygen in your blood. It's the most effective healing agent that exists. Sunlight will soothe your nerves and boost your mood. It will give you a renewed sense of well-being. Sunlight increases the production of endorphins and serotonin in your brain. It leaves you feeling much better. And getting enough sunlight during the day means you'll sleep better at night. It means you've been exposed to natural light, which increases your melatonin out, your natural melatonin output at night. It's a natural hormone made by our bodies to help us sleep and slow down the aging process. Isn't it interesting that for the sake of health and healing, they tell you to stay out of the sun? And, of course, they say, well, it's because of the skin cancers and the melanomas. And that comes from abuse and not doing it in moderation. But to get completely out of the sun, which is what they tell you to do, to block that vitamin D completely off of your skin, you wonder why we have a depressed, medicated society? The healing properties of the sun, S-U-N, can help people suffering from various disease and ailments. And the healing light of the sun, S-O-N, is the spiritual counterpart of everything I just said. That's why the enemy doesn't want you to shine. That's why you want you to get caught up in man-made traditions and religions and, and events and things that are self-centered and where you turn towards you. He doesn't want you to shine. He doesn't want you to go out into the darkness. He doesn't want you to drive the darkness back. I mean, I get it. I've been at this war over 30 years now. I get it. I get why the enemy doesn't want me out there. He doesn't want SRT out there. He doesn't want Firefall doing his thing. I get it. He doesn't want light. He doesn't want exposure. He doesn't want people to know what they can do that they're fearfully and wonderfully made. In the image of God, the children of God, that they have access to the throne room. They have access to the creative power of the universe. He he doesn't want you to know that. But you, each and every one of you, is a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Did you hear what I said? He called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's why he told Paul, and I think this is a mandate to the church, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and the inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in the Lord. We have an inheritance The inheritance is a new earth and a new heaven. A holy city called the New Jerusalem coming down from heaven, prepared as a bride ordained for a husband. The tabernacle of God will be with men. He will dwell with them. They shall be his people. And he will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. No more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. No more pain. All the former things, all the messed up things, all the broken things have passed away because the one who sits on the throne has made all things new. 
See, that menorah, that servant candle, that middle light that lights all the others is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And we are his radiance to the world. We are the light that shines on the hill. So let your light shine before men. Be that light. Destroy the darkness. Become extremely dangerous. Awake from your sleep. Arise from the dead. And Messiah will give you light. Lord, I just come to you now and I ask that you light each and every one of us, that you as the servant candle, through the fire of your Holy Spirit, take someone who's been down and depressed and dark and cold and light them, set them on fire, burn the dross off of them, burn the attachments off of them that are not of you. And those of us that are already burned, we want to burn brighter. We want to glow. We want to radiate. I've told you, Lord, I want to be a nuclear reactor. I want to be so radiant that the demons can't even look this way, that I leave scorch marks in the spirit. But we have to have you. We have to have more of you and less of us, less of man, less of the things of this world, less of the nonsense of this world. We want to be filled with your fire so that it glows in our eyes and makes us extremely dangerous. You know, we may take out that menorah every year and do that, but we want to be living menorahs, walking around, giving people hope, letting them know that there's someone that cares about them. Lord, I saw a post of a man on Twitter who asked for prayer, and he simply said he was so beat down and enveloped in such darkness that he had no more hope. He didn't care about tomorrow. It was the first year that he didn't care about the holidays. And he asked people to pray for him, which told me that there was still something left. I don't know the man. It was somebody else's. I don't know him. I just simply told him I would pray for him. That I know how that feels. And that it may sound trite or corny, but that God loves him. And God knows. Told him I pray that he would hang in there and that he would feel his love and feel his warmth and come to know how much the Lord loved him. So I'm praying for him now. I don't know his name. I don't remember his name, but you do, Lord. I'm praying that that man, wherever he is right now, would feel your glow and your radiance upon him, feel the warmth of your love and feel your presence and not give up. I pray that maybe somebody lives nearby that would go minister to him and pray with him and that he would find people to fellowship with. We can't walk alone in this darkness. We stumble. We hurt ourselves. We bump into things. That's why, Lord, I ask for the provisions. I ask for the help. I ask for the ability to take this fire and this light out into the world. And I pray for each and every one of you to receive the fire of the Holy Spirit inside of you so that now and into the coming year and beyond, you glow like you've never glowed before, you shine like you've never shone before, that you lay hands on the sick and they recover, that you cast out demons, the lame would walk, the blind would see, the deaf would hear, and the dead would be raised, and you'd have the faith to do it. I pray right now he'd meet you where you are, help you with your needs, get you to where you need to be. And I just pray all these things. In Yeshua's name, amen.
May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, give you shalom. I'm Richard Grund. Shine. This has been The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio. This weekend at Kohl's, take an extra 15% off. Save on men's and women's denim. Get Under Armour shoes for the family, $59.99 and under. And pick up a Power XL air fryer, just $84.99. Plus, take an extra $10 off your back-to-school purchase of $50 or more. Plus, store drive up. And get a little more for your wallet with Kohl's Cash. Shop Kohl's and Kohl's.com. Select styles, 15% off with promo code Notebook and August 16th. Under Armour offers and coupons do not apply. 10 off 50 with promo code BTS10 and August 23rd. Some exclusions apply. See store or Kohl's.com for details.